The gospel for reading for tonight is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. There's so many passages in the Bible that have been used to hurt people. Verses taken up like weapons and wielded against people to incite hatred, to exclude or punish or make people feel bad or scared or lesser, gay people, women, heathens, pagans, Jews, etc., etc., etc. You're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. It doesn't seem like you could do that much harm with that. How could anyone possibly wield that in any even semi-threatening manner? But sweet Mary, mother of God, I swear, a boy will take a piece of toast and bite it into the shape of a gun. <laughs> They'll find a way to point jello and make shooting noises. You are the light of the world. Seems like such a gentle metaphor. Such a lovely, quiet thing, light. I don't think light makes any noise. Think about the morning and how the light comes. In some ways, you hardly notice it. It's so gradual, soft. Or what it's like when you light a match and set it to a candle. Jesus doesn't say, you are electricity. It hadn't been discovered. But naturally, we, mostly actually boys, I think, have found ways to make light into a weapon and shoot it. It doesn't seem like laser weapons could really be real outside of comic books. But the Air Force is working on YAL-1 airborne laser mounted on a Boeing 747 to shoot down enemy missiles. In this verse, you are the light of the world, what Christians did with it 
strapped it on, loaded their packs, went out to the darkest jungles, the remotest hinterlands, marched down dirt trails to uncharted little villages everywhere, and shot their light all over the world. I mean, I don't think they meant to do any harm. Probably mostly, except maybe like the conquistadors. But you take Jesus' words and you mix them with the sort of domination, ambition, arrogant, progress-oriented, growth-obsessed, empire orientation, and you get some twisted missionary zeal. People read this and thought, we are beacons, lighthouses. We are bright and we are right and we are going to shine. Not just knocking on doors in the neighborhood, no. We're going to let it shine. Down trails that no white man has ever walked before, let it shine. To all the indigenous peoples everywhere, yes. No matter if they have beautiful, sustainable cultures, no, let it shine. To the last remaining people who have non-exploitative relationships with the natural world, we're going to bring the light. To the last remaining tribes of hunter-gatherers, yes. Our white, imperialist, western, dualist, industrial message, let it shine. Take our ideologies of progress and growth and convert the world, all the people of the world, let it shine until nothing remains without our light. I think that's maybe a little bit twisted. There's hardly anything that could make it more clear that we've mixed up our faith with empire drives than the history of Christian mission. I know they're good people and they're good missions, but a whole lot of damage was done. You know, maybe in the end, our light, our idea of what's right, even if it seems really, really good to us, teach the natives English. Make them worship your God. Doesn't turn out to be all that good for the natives or for the world. I mean, we're like on the brink of environmental disaster because the empire converted the world to its ways. There are all sorts of cultures where people treated the earth like it was sacred. And we brought them the four spiritual laws and strip mining and dams and the spirit of capitalism. I'm just thinking that maybe that's not really what Jesus meant to have happen when he said, you are the light of the world. I don't think Jesus was trying to promote the obliteration of indigenous cultures. I could be wrong, but it just doesn't really seem like his vibe to me. The whole book of Matthew, the whole Bible, can be read as an offering of an alternative way to empire, an alternative way, other than power and domination and violence. But how is it that we do violence with the way of nonviolence? I don't know, but we really, really, really do. The Roman Empire was pretty big on being the light that shines before all men. And they had a lot of missionary zeal, building roads to backward places, spreading wisdom, bringing light to the barbarians and the unenlightened. And it wasn't very hesitant either about slaughtering and enslaving and repressing dissent when necessary to spread 
the Enlightenment. Generally, the empire as light is kind of a violent thing. It's an imposing kind of a thing. Even if it's roads or language or liter literacy, it's big power imposing itself on anything that it perceives as lesser. It happens constantly, all the time with everything. The empire narrative is definitely the dominant narrative. And its light has definitely seeped into us and formed who we are and what we believe and what we desire. It affects how we look at the world. Maybe Jesus didn't mean that kind of empire light. I mean, if you look at what comes right before this passage, Jesus says, blessed are the weak and the meek and the poor. So who's the light? The empire? And oh my gosh, not the empire. The poor and the weak and the meek and the hungry. It's like the most counter, anti-empire light you could possibly imagine. It must be such a different light that we keep missing it and not understanding it and twisting it in to fit into our empire-shaped minds. Maybe Jesus didn't mean impose your light. If you're powerful and you believe you are the light and you have the light, it doesn't always work out so well for other people. It diminishes them, really. Pushing your light on other people, it's like shining a flashlight in someone's eyes. It's blinding, and it's irritating. It's one of the most irritating things there is to have someone shine their flashlight in your eyes. You can't see anything when someone shines their flashlight in your eyes. I think people should just turn their flashlights off. You are the light of the world. Is that only true if you're not powerful? If you're not oozing the empire's values, if you're not motivated by its desires for power and money and fame and glory? I mean, we didn't ask to be born here. We didn't ask to be implanted with these values from our birth. We didn't ask to have our consciousness, consciousness formed by the empire. But you know what? They really have been. Maybe Jesus is being sort of ironic when he's bringing up the light of the world. The empire always believes it's the light of the world. That's always a part of its M.O., the powerful have a sort of inherent tendency to believe in their light. But Jesus is doing this incredible, like, flipping thing that you might never quite get if you have power. Almost like a joke that the powerless might get, but the powerful will never get. The next part of the passage is really interesting when you think of Jesus doing this anti-empire thing. He says, think not that I have come to abolish the Jewish laws and prophets. Because the ranting old countercultural prophets were very hard on the rich. They were relentlessly critical of the powerful. 
The law and the prophets are very much concerned with the welfare of the least, about keeping greed and envy and acquisitiveness in check. When Jesus says, I come to fulfill the law and prophets in the context of empire, it could almost be heard as a threat to empire. Not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. That's revolutionary rhetoric. Like the powerful might want to gather up their things and cross the border to another country, evacuate. Because if all is accomplished, it's going to be a complete subversion of the system that runs the world. In the prophetic text that's paired with the Matthew reading for tonight, God seems mad. I could be reading it wrong. But God does ask Isaiah to shout at God's rebellious people who act like they seek God, who act like they delight in God's ways. They act like they humble themselves and they fast, but it's fake. And God's like, will you call this a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? You're comfortable, your systems are intact, you're settled, and the poor are hungry and the weak are oppressed. This is the fast I choose, says God. Loose the bonds of injustice. Undo the thongs of the yoke. And then your light will break forth. Share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless people into your house. Satisfy the needs of the afflicted. And then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be like noonday, and the Lord will guide you and make your bones strong. I like to make your bones strong. You could read Jesus saying he's going to fulfill the law not as a threat to the powerful. You could read it as grace. We can't possibly fill every iota and jot of the law and prophets. We've tried and we've tried and we've tried and we just can't do it. I can invite maybe one homeless person into my house. Well, that's pretty hard, actually, if you think of the kids and dinner. and Maybe we could buy them an apartment. But, you know, it won't make a systematic difference, even if I do invite a homeless person into my house. And plus, we've been so brainwashed by the empire. It's not entirely our fault. But we're not capable of undoing the thongs of the yoke. Jesus says here, it says here that Jesus fills the law. So we don't have to. Thank God, because we can't. The point is Jesus is doing this. Jesus does do this all the time. The point is the mercy. Our righteousness could never exceed that of the Pharisees. Are you kidding? So thank God that's how you enter the, not how you enter the kingdom. We live and we love and we're freed by grace of God, not our activity or our righteousness. But I don't know. Not one iota or dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I mean, is this a threat? Or a promise? Or is the promise sort of threatening? Or is it all just meant to make us feel the mercy wash over us and then we'll go and love somebody or feed somebody? And then we'll quit believing in power? I think the whole thing 
generates some tension, quite frankly. Light really isn't anything very tangible. It's not even very unambiguous. Light shows the dirt and the wrinkles. It's, it's almost like the definition of not being able to hide anything. Light exposes its exposure. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, Jesus says. That's not necessarily all good. Cities have some pretty ugly little places. Pigeon droppings, back alleys with dumpsters, hardness of heart, meanness that is going to be exposed up on the hill. Maybe you wouldn't really, given the choice, choose the light. Like, this isn't an exhortation to stand on the mountain and shed your light on the Tibetan Buddhists. It's like something that shines through you and exposes the city, the empire in you. You can't hide it. It shows. Maybe it shows your beauty, too. I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It seems pretty easy to question whether we have light. I mean, it isn't obvious, really. If we turned out the lights, it'd be dark in here, and you wouldn't shine. I'm not trying to dish you. I'm just, like, talking about a fact. You know what you are, without doubt, though? Salt. Salt runs in your blood and your sweat and your tears. It's even in your urine. It's full of it. Actually, almost every part of your body has salt. An average adult human being contains 250 grams of salt. Your cells couldn't function without it. They wouldn't get nourishment, and they would die of dehydration. Your cells, all of them, salt. But the body doesn't provide or produce salt by itself. It has to eat it. And you're constantly losing it through bodily functions, but you've got it somehow, and you keep getting it, or you'd be dead. You are salt. And so is every single other living human being and animal. The sea is salt. Maybe that doesn't make being salt seem all that comforting or all that hopeful, because it's so unspectacular. It's just a given for everyone. It's not like you're better or brighter or brighter. It's just something you share with everyone. Some people say the whole light and salt thing is a profound gift that we are given. Yeah, maybe a profound gift. Maybe it's the most profound gift, one that you share with everybody. Communion really does subvert empire. Jesus looked at these people, bedraggled and not that shiny. They weren't Christians, obviously. I mean, that wasn't really an option then. And he says, you're the light. And maybe it was like sort of generous. A sort of generous creativity or a creative generosity. Maybe Jesus is sort of modeling a different way to see everyone. 
And instead of being all like, I'm the light, I'm bright, I'm right, I'm the light, maybe we might look at other people and see their light. Maybe even tell them every once in a while, I can see your light, man. For sure, for sure, for sure, you're salt. We may seem like drones of the empire in 10,000 ways. Our desires have been deformed. But we are physically, cellularly, without doubt, salt. And we're all in it together, deeply and profoundly. Communion, it's like the opposite of what we learn from the empire. And you don't see it all that often. But maybe we glimpse it here. Maybe acting this out, communion, sharing what's given, eating love together, maybe little by little by little we're being transformed. 